Books Are My People, a bi-weekly podcast for book lovers with book news, book recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. This is episode 31, which also happens to be my favorite number. I can't believe it's September. Today is my 17th wedding anniversary, which I find completely baffling because our wedding really does not feel like 17 years ago. My kids are both fully ensconced in their Zoom school for now, and I am back to book editing after having taken the summer off. So since August, I've been eating vegan and taking up jogging, two phrases I never ever thought would come out of my mouth, but so far so good. I took up a three-week vegan challenge to see if I could lower my cholesterol naturally, and uh, now it's been over a month but my blood test is not till the end of September. So I've just bought myself another three weeks of veganism. So if it worked, I would consider staying mostly vegan. It hasn't been that hard, Um, but I do have all these chickens in my yard and they are producing eggs whether or not I eat them. So I'm thinking that egg white omelets may have to be incorporated. I found out that egg whites have no cholesterol, fun fact. And the running, I just would like to be clear, I totally hate it every second of it, but as soon as I'm done, I do get ecstatically happy that I did it, and those endorphins start flowing, so I'm just going to stick with it three times a week. So that is all for my personal catch-up. Oh, wait, there's more. I've also started reviewing books on NetGalley, which has been awesome because I've been receiving so many advanced review copies. And let me just tell you, there are a ton of amazing books coming out this fall, and I can't wait to share them all with you. So now it's time for some bookish news. So according to CNN, three of publishing's most important organizations have teamed up to compose a letter to the chairman of the House Antitrust Subcommittee investigating the market power of big tech, specifically questioning Amazon's growing dominance over book publishing and book selling, and how they've basically altered fundamentally the competition in the industry. And the idea here is that Amazon is a runaway train, and if it's left unchallenged, it's basically going to run every other bookseller out of business. So what is happening here is basically Amazon is getting called out for not being a level playing field. Amazon achieves this by using many tactics, most of which I am not privy to, but I do know that they offer benefits to writers and publishers who offer their books to be sold on Amazon exclusively. And because Amazon makes so much money selling everything else under the sun, they're able to sell books oftentimes at a loss, making your local independent bookstore just completely unable to compete with their low, low prices. So the question is, is this fair? Is this fair business practice? And if not, what can be done about it? A new project called Reclaim Her Name aims to republish 25 books written by women, all published under male aliases, uh, under the women's original names. Books like George Eliot's Middlemarch would be republished, giving credit to uh, George Eliot's given name, which was Mary Ann Evans. The 25 novels are being released as ebooks and are allegedly all free to download. I will see if I can find a link 
um, if that's available. And if so, I will put it in the show notes. Other books include Marie of the Cabin Club by Arnold Petrie, who was really Anne Petrie, who was the first African-American woman to sell more than a million copies of a book. And George Sand's work uh, will also be republished, whose real name is Amantine Aurore Dupin. Since many of us book lovers are stuck at home, we can head over to tripfiction.com where we can select a destination and Trip Fiction will select a complimentary book that takes place in that destination. So you can basically read your way around the world. It looks like it's mostly original English language works of fiction. And I think this would have been a much more interesting project if it yielded results that were original works in translation, but that's just me. I will put a link to it in the show notes section of this podcast. Now, on to the books. So I feel like I am the last person to read my first pick this week, which originally came out in 2016, but I absolutely loved it. It is nonfiction, and it is called Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood by Trevor Noah. So Trevor Noah is, of course, the host of The Daily Show, and the book starts with an excerpt from the Immortality Act of 1927, which prohibited any relations between Europeans and, I quote here, natives, as the document says. Failure to do so resulted in potential imprisonment for up to five years. So this directly related to Trevor Noah's personal life because his mom is Hosa and his dad is Swiss German, hence Trevor Noah himself was born a crime, which is where the title of the book comes from. He talks about how he never called his father dad, but only by his first name, because to acknowledge a white man as his father would have gotten his family into a lot of trouble. By the same token, because Noah was much more fair-skinned than his mother, she would pretend to be his nanny in public. Growing up in apartheid South Africa, as well as the beginning of a post-apartheid South Africa, lends itself to a host of emotional, raw, and personal anecdotes that Trevor Noah shares. His stories highlight the ways in which he navigated so many different communities and cultures throughout his childhood. You can see where his comedic nature takes root. He was an impish child, always getting into trouble, always with a smart aleck response, which his mother consistently outwitted. And this is a quick and informative, funny and moving read that I think everyone but me has read. So if you were thinking about reading this and you never got around to it, I say go back and pick it up. It's fantastic. I also purchased, there's a version for younger readers um, without some of the the language and a little bit of the content scaled back. Um, And I got that on audiobook for my younger son. And that was great because it's Trevor Noah reading it himself, and it just feels right to have him be the narrator to his own life story. And again, that is Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood by Trevor Noah. My next pick is called The Insomniacs by Merritt Weisenberg. While I don't personally suffer from insomnia, I am at times a terrible sleeper. Ever since I had kids, I've been a super light sleeper, and once I'm up, I just can't go back to sleep. So I could definitely relate to the struggles of the protagonist. 
17-year-old Iris. Yes, this is a young adult novel, but before you poo-poo it because of its genre, let me just say that it didn't feel like a young adult novel. Maybe it's because the teens here are a bit older, the pacing was a bit slower than a typical young adult novel. Anyhow, Iris is a senior in high school, and when the book starts, we learn that she has just suffered a recent concussion while diving. She's on the school's diving team and is about as advanced as a diver can be for a 17-year-old. And this accident leads her to be somewhat of an unreliable narrator, which I always love because her memories have become quite foggy. So she keeps second-guessing herself, reliving over and over again her bad dive, trying to piece together how this accident could have happened, but she can't quite remember. So as she recovers from her concussion in her bedroom, she has a great view of her neighborhood, um, including the house of her longtime crush, Van, who lives right across the street, as well as a view of the abandoned house right next door to her, where she swears she keeps seeing evidence of people occupying the house. The concussion has turned her into an insomniac, and she soon learns that her neighbor Van also shares her affliction, and together they begin not sleeping together each night. This novel is so beautifully written, offering a pitch-perfect plot reveal. Iris feels like a wholly three-dimensional character who struggles with making connections with other people. I also appreciated how her single mother is a good mom who's trying her best instead of falling into the trope of bad parenting that's so often portrayed in young adult fiction. This novel is part rear window, part love story, and a whole lot of heart. I recommend it to anyone, teen or older, who enjoys a well-written novel about friendship, relationships, secrets, and the drive and passion it takes to be involved in competitive sports, and the anguish a teen can feel when they are unable to partake in the thing they love. And again, that's The Insomniacs by Merritt Weisenberg. And a very special thank you to Flatiron Books and NetGalley for The Galley. Next up is a new release from Amy Popel, which is Musical Chairs. Amy Popel is the author of Admissions and Limelight. She's one of those authors whose latest book I will usually pick up because she's consistently funny. So I purchased this novel at the independent bookstore between the covers when we were in Telluride in August. And because of the name of the bookstore between the covers, my kids thought that it was a naughty adult store. And I kept telling them, we have to go there. We have to go there. And they were like, why is mom trying to get us to go to the adult bookstore? Anyhow, it's a lovely independent bookstore for adults and kids and everyone in between. And when I paid for the book, the bookseller told me that Amy Popel's cousin or some relative lives in Telluride, so she always stops in at that store when she's out on book tour. Anyhow, for all the Sondheim fans out there, this book reminded me of the song A Weekend in the Country from the musical A Little Night Music. If you are familiar with the song, you know it's a full ensemble song. It's very busy, and that is what this book felt like. Not in a bad way, but there were just a lot of characters, a lot of moving parts. It centers around Bridget, who has two adult children, twins. Her son just got married, and her daughter has a job all the way, and I think it was Singapore, but I can't remember. And Bridget is so looking forward to spending a quiet summer with her new boyfriend in her country home. 
She is a member of the Forsyth Trio, which is a string instrument trio, along with her best friend, Will, but their third has up and quit and they need to find a replacement. As soon as Bridget arrives at the house in the country, she starts to notice that it could use some repairs, maybe more than she ever anticipated, and because of faulty wiring, she gets a pretty nasty electrical shock when she tries to plug in her computer. Her father, famous in the music world, also makes his home in the country, and her daughter in Singapore has suddenly quit her job and has come home to spend the summer, you guessed it, in the country. And her son is having marital strife, and he ends up in the country. Okay, again, I hearken back to the song, A Weekend in the Country. People keep coming in and out of that country house door. There are a lot of subplots here, so I won't bother going into detail about them, but it was definitely an entertaining read. It did make me laugh, but I will say it wasn't my favorite of her novels. Um, That title goes to Admissions. So if you've never read any Amy Popel before, uh, maybe start with Admissions. But this was good. Um, And again, that's Musical Chairs by Amy Popel. Next up was my Book of the Month Club pick for August, and that is Luster by Raven Lalani. This is Lalani's debut novel, and it is about Edie, a 23-year-old who is working in a publishing house, and she begins an affair with a married man she meets online who is in an open relationship with his wife. In addition to their differences in economic status, there is also the issue of race. Edie is black, and the married husband is white. Edie is an artist, but she struggles to create. She's too distracted by the noise of the world around her. Edie forms a very uncomfortable relationship with her lover's wife, and the book explores themes of power dynamics, desire, sex, and yet dealing with all of these layers of issues, the book is surprisingly slender, representative of Lalani's succinct powerhouse writing. And the subject matter reminded me of another book I read that I don't think I ever talked about on the show. Um, And that is called Animals Eat Each Other by L. Nash. But today's book is called Luster by Raven Lalani. Next up is a graphic novel called Kasuma, the graphic novel by Elisa Marcellari, and it is translated by Edward Fortis. Uh, This, like the Insomniacs, also came out on September 1st, and thank you to Lawrence King Publishing and NetGalley for the advanced review copy. Yayoi Kasuma is an artist that I've been drawn to for a really long time, but I didn't know a lot about her rich history as an artist. Her Infinity Room was super popular here in Los Angeles a few years ago, and when my family traveled to Japan, we experienced more of her art in and around Tokyo. But I think that presenting Kasuma's life in graphic novel form is the perfect way to tell the famous Japanese artist's story. I loved getting to know more about her childhood and her drive to create art that is rooted in both Eastern and Western cultures. Elisa Masolari's art is bold and immersive and reflects Kasuma's vivid imagination, especially through the use of her famous red dots, which appear in various iterations throughout the book. After breaking with her family in Japan, Kasuma moves to New York, where she continues to struggle with mental health issues as she finds her artistic voice through experimentation and performance art 
and she forges unique friendships with famous American artists. I had no idea that she had an epistolary relationship with Georgia O'Keeffe, for example. This is a vibrant, informative graphic novel that will delight art lovers and fans of Kasuma's work. There is definitely some more mature content in here, so I would say this book is a better fit for high school and older. And again, that is Kasuma, the graphic novel by Elisa Marcellari, translated by Edward Fortes. Next up for me is Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. And I'll be back in 14 days with Midge Raymond, who is not only an author, but she and her husband run Ashland Creek Press, which is an independent publisher based in Portland. All of the books I've talked about today can be found in my new bookshop.org store, Books Are My People, and in the show notes of this podcast. And while you're at it, please do follow me on Instagram at Jennifer Calogeris. I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week.